Today we are reading a pretty familiar parable to most of us. It's the parable of the sower, although a lot of people want to call it the parable of the soils because Jesus actually describes what the parable is about and talks about it being the soils, although I want to talk a little bit more today about this sower. It's an important parable because it's one of the only parables Jesus really explains, and it's also in the middle of this discussion that Jesus describes why he teaches in parables. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but we'll be reading from Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, and they were scorched, but but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. It's interesting that Jesus, when he tells parables, often uses farming metaphors because Jesus was not a farmer. He was actually a, uh, we call him a carpenter, but there's not a lot of wood over there. He was kind of a craftsman, built with wood, but also probably a lot with clay and with stone. But a lot of his parables have to do with farming, a, a common metaphor. He tells parables not so that he can hide his message, but there's something about a story, isn't there, that sort of captures you. If you've ever read a good book, you've ever watched a good movie or kept up with a good TV show, it tends to suck you in and make you think about it later. Parables force you to lean into them, to marinate in them, just like all good stories do. The Greek word for parable means to toss alongside. It has this idea of comparison. So if it's a short comparison, we tend to call it a metaphor. If it's more of a story, we tend to call it a parable. But a parable is written really to deconstruct our worldview and to reconstruct a different worldview. It's why Jesus connects it so often to the idea of his kingdom. And so Jesus shares this story of the sower and his seeds. The seed is supposed to represent the word of God or what Matthew calls the word of the kingdom. It's It's the good news. It's the information about what Jesus is doing that will get people excited Jesus tells us what the seed is, and he tells us the metaphor of the story. He tells us how to read it. He said, when people hear about the kingdom, and they don't understand, it's like that soil that's on the path. The the seeds don't go anywhere, they don't take any kind of root, and so they're quickly snatched up by the evil one. On the rocky ground, we know those who hear the words and immediately receive it, but don't don't have any root. And so when things get tough, you've probably seen Christians like this, right? They start coming to church, they start getting excited about the faith, but they don't have any roots. So when something bad comes along, as something bad always comes along in our lives, they don't have the roots, so they, they end up falling away. Some among the thorns, and these are the people that hear the word, but the cares of the world, and Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches choke out. You've probably seen those people, right? 
people who get excited, but then they get caught up in a new job. They get caught up in keeping up with the Joneses, of looking popular, of, of getting the things of this world. And suddenly there's not a lot of time for the word. There's not a lot of time for the church. And so there's no fruit in the end. Good soil are those who hear the word and understand it. They're meant to bear fruit. God means for you and I in our lives because of what Jesus has done in us to bear fruit, right? Jesus says this a bunch of different ways. And Paul says about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You are supposed to in your life have fruit because of what Jesus has done in your life. And if there's no fruit being being bared, there's nothing yielded from the plant of the truth that's in your life. We got a problem. Jesus is saying. In the context of Matthew, the disciples have been seeing the message of Jesus rejected. Okay, we're a little bit later in Matthew, and the disciples have begun to share this word of truth with others. And nobody, there's a lot of people not listening to it. In fact, there are a lot of people getting mad about it. A lot of people starting to talk about killing Jesus. And so I think this, this parable comes right at a time where the disciples are wondering, why aren't people responding to this good news the way we expect it? They're getting frustrated because there are low yields. And Jesus is trying to tell them, look, people are in different places. Soils vary. And most sermons on this story kind of, kind of stop right there. Simple questions. And I think they're worth reflecting on here, especially when Jesus tells us about the parable. Right? I mean, what kind of soil is your life? Is your life, is your faith producing fruit for Jesus? That's a question worth bearing, worth asking, worth thinking about. What about things in your life that are not doing so well? And maybe some of what we need to hear today is that if if you're sowing seeds in your personal life and you're not getting the results you want, maybe it's not a problem that you're not sowing enough seed. It's just that you're sowing in different places and you don't know what's going to work out. Sometimes you read your Bible and you finally start getting into your faith and nothing happens and you don't really learn anything. You start reaching out and caring for people in your life and you don't get a lot of yield on that. Sometimes you just have to keep sowing your seed. Keep working. Keep sharing with people. Keep living your life out. And sometimes God produces the yield down the road. Now that'd be, that'd be a fine sermon on the parable of the sower. And that fits what Jesus is describing here. It fits the context of Matthew. And it's where a lot of preachers tend to go with this text. But I can't stop there because there's one thing about this story that has always driven me crazy. And that is very simply, we we skip over it all the time. How terrible is this sower? You ever think about that? He goes out and just starts throwing seed everywhere. How many of you have a garden? And we have people who have gardens out there. Anybody have farms out there? Worked on farms when you were younger. How many, when you go out to plant your garden, plant your whole yard? Like, oh, let's just throw it on the sidewalk. Maybe some seed will go there. We'll throw it in the bushes. We'll throw it in the rocks over here. There's a a thorn bush. We'll just plant some seed over there, and we'll see what kind of grows. That is terrible sowing. I don't, nobody ever wants to talk about this. What is up with this sower? He's just throwing seed everywhere. Now, maybe... There's some suggestions that maybe that's just how you planted in those days. Maybe you didn't till the ground. You just kind of let the plants grow where they grew. But I don't think so. I think this is a pretty awful sower. And for me, he's getting yield on only a quarter of his sowing. Think about that. 
Oh, he's only getting yield on 25%. Now, it's a good yield on the 25%, but it still seems foolish to me. Why don't you plant all your seed in the good soil and get yield on all your seed? This is the kind of farmer that you fire. This is the kind of gardener that you get rid of. This is just bad economics. It doesn't make any sense to me. This is not effective. This is not efficient. But if you think about it, a lot of Jesus' parables don't make sense. They don't add up economically for us. Think about the woman who turns over her house to find a coin. I'm telling you right now, I could get in the cushions of my couch and find five coins. Why is it such a big deal that she's got to turn over the whole house to find one coin? What about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go find one? It's stupid. You're out in the middle of the woods. You already know that one sheep has been lost. You leave 99 sheep to go find the one. You know what you're going to find when you come back? You're going to find some other lost sheep. You're going to have wolves or you're going to have stupid sheep wander off. It's ridiculous. What about the prodigal son? He wishes his father dead, goes and blows all his inheritance, and he comes back and he's accepted as a son. In fact, he's given the ring of his father, which means he's allowed to make business decisions for the family. It's stupid. Man finds something valuable in a field, Jesus talks about in one of his parables, and instead of just keeping the thing, he reburies it and buys the whole field. It's dumb. Foreman pays all the workers the same wages, even though some of them worked all day and some of them only worked the last hour. That would not go well in most businesses. Think about it. Jesus' Jesus' parables are not the only thing that are not economically logical to us. Think about a lot of his teachings. Blessed are the poor, the meek. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. No, I'm not. I don't want to be poor. Jesus said, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. I I really hope at some point somebody raised their hand and said, Jesus... By very definition, the first are first and the last are last. I don't even know what you're trying to say to me right now. It doesn't add up. Jesus says to take the lower seat. Jesus said that we are to be like children to inherit the kingdom. This is at a time when children are are worthless. Children have very little value until they got older. Jesus said it's easier for the camel to get through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get in heaven. Don't we all tend to think that rich people have an advantage? Jesus is saying, no, they're at a disadvantage. Jesus had, had said that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. And Jesus, for Jesus, small is big and big is small. Think about not just the teachings of Jesus, but the actions of Jesus. For Jesus, five loaves and two fish can feed thousands of people. That's not economical. That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus drafts a team of leaders... To, to, to control his movement, to, to carry on his movement. And he picks fishermen and tax collectors, all people that were not chosen to be disciples of any other rabbi. They are young and experienced. He drafts the B team, the JV. These are people that do not have current discipleship jobs because they couldn't make the cut. And Jesus picks them. What about the very life of Jesus? Jesus is God born as a baby, Sitting in a manger, filling his diaper. That does not economically make sense to me. Jesus, God become flesh, dying on a cross. All over the place, Jesus doesn't make any sense. The economics are wrong, the math does not work out. 
Isn't this part of the problem that people have with Jesus in the Gospels? He will not be good. He will not follow their rules. He will not gain the power and the momentum. He will not make powerful allies. In fact, he tends to make those people enemies. He doesn't market his ministry well. He doesn't have a good mission statement. He doesn't develop a good strategic plan. doesn't do any market analysis. No wonder they wanted to kill him. His values were completely different than theirs. But of course, Jesus is not from our world, is he? In truth, neither are we. We live in two worlds. Now I get to my hula hoops. One world, I'm just going to call the world of the world. And in the world of the world, the currency is power, is wealth, and is self-gratification. This is the way the world thinks. What's important in this world is fairness, getting what you deserve. There's another world. The world of the kingdom. And the world of the kingdom, the currency is different. The currency is faith, hope, and love. It's not about fairness. It's about grace in this world. The worlds work differently. And part of the challenge with Jesus, and part of what I think we see in the sower, is that the logic of the world of the world does not line up with the logic of the kingdom. I think this is why Jesus teaches parables. Because he wants to deconstruct the world of the world and help us to live in the world of the kingdom. Think about it. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. And we all as Christians kind of like believe that. But then, I don't really want to be persecuted. I don't mind not being rich, but I don't really want to be poor and meek. No, I don't, I don't want to be a doormat. I mean, Jesus said, pray thy will be done. Yeah, but I've got some of my own will, too. Jesus says, Jesus says, blessed are the children, and you've got to be like children. But I like my logic and my making sense. This is the big one for me. Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the birds, look at the flowers of the field. I, I clothe them, I feed them. But man, I do kind of worry about what I'm going to eat, right? I worry about what I'm going to wear. i got to wear something. It's easy to get caught up. See, I think there are these two worlds, the world of the world and the world of the kingdom. And I think what Jesus is doing in a lot of his parables and a lot of his teaching and in his very life is challenging us to live in the world of the kingdom. But so often you and I get caught living in the world of the world. It's like a movie or a book. You ever get caught up in a good movie? Where you're sitting in your living room, but all of a sudden, you're in Scotland with Braveheart, with William Wallace. And for, that was a long movie, like three hours. You're just zoned in. The world of the world tends to suck us in like that. In fact, we get so sucked in, we don't even realize it all. When we come to church, we feel like church is a break from the real world. When in reality, church is the real world. And it's the rest of our weakness sucking us in where we shouldn't be. This is, I think, what Jesus is trying to get at. This is what Jesus, I think, is calling us to do. And unfortunately, even as Christians, I think we may visit the world of the kingdom, but I think very often we live most of our life in the world of the world. I know that's my temptation all the time. 
to worry and to be anxious and instead, instead of trusting. And you know the biggest difference between these two worlds? It's who's at the center. It's the big difference between dog and cat spirituality. Have you ever heard this? If you have a dog and you pet a dog, you take care of the dog, you spend time with the dog, you feed the dog, the dog is going to think that you are God. And every time you come home, it's going to wag its tail and praise you and thank you. If you have a cat and you pet a cat and you feed the cat and you spend time with the cat and take care of the cat, that cat is going to think that it is God. Big difference. Same stimuli. Same stimuli. But the interpretation is different. In our lives, who is at the center? Is it ultimately us? That's the world of the world. Or is it ultimately Jesus? Is it ultimately something outside of us calling us to move forward? And don't we need to hear these words? Because it's the world of the kingdom that makes us good soil. It's thinking out of this world that makes the yield in our lives possible. And in our world that seems so broken, it just seems to be getting more broken, where we worry about politics and, and elections this week, we worry about finances and how our economy is doing, we try to grow spiritually, we try to do things in the church, but we just don't always see the yield that we want to. It can be frustrating. But maybe Jesus is calling us to think differently, to keep sowing with reckless abandon. The shotgun sewing method. Just keep sewing. Just keep going out there. Keep sharing your faith. Keep growing. Keep trying to live in your faith because you don't know what's going to work out and what's not. Maybe it's time we put Jesus in his right place at the center. Then we'll be good soil. Then maybe the yield that we long for in our lives will finally come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to live in a kingdom that is not this world, but is your kingdom. And we thank you that someday your kingdom is going to take over this world and will be all that there is. Until that comes, help us to remember where our true citizenship lies and to live out of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.